This is Meowcore, the podcast where I, Laura, show my cool friend Panya the hard rock and metal music that I like. And uh, it's episode oh. three. Someone said meow. I think it's my cool friend Panya. Was it you? <laughs> <laughs> Unless someone snuck in. Um, it's episode three and I was going to do Uriah Heap. But a few days ago, the new um, In This Moment song came out with a video and I was overwhelmed with love for Maria Brink. So it's going to be In This Moment for episode three. Okay. Mm, I think I've shown you pictures a few times because she's so amazing, so nice to look at, so nice to listen to. What did I want to tell you before we start? Nothing. It's just let's go from the seventies to a modern band. I don't know. <laughs> let's start with we can go to Spotify and find a song by In This Moment called Sexual Hallucination. You'll tell me what you think. Okay. I'm not sure what I think about that. Mm-hmm. Was it confusing? It didn't start off what I think of as metal at all. Mm -hmm. It was very club. <laughs> it felt very club at the beginning. And then as it built up into the chorus. And I don't know how much of that was due to the subject matter. Because it was a lot of it, the subject matter in particular and the voice, Maria's voice a bit, reminds me of a song from the 90s? I don't know. Let me find... There's a song hmm. by an artist named Amber that was released in 1999 named Sexual, and this reminded me of that. Oh. It's a good song. I like it. But the the voice it didn't remind me of it in any way in a in a note musical type sense. Like the the music itself doesn't sound that similar, but both featuring a female singer with a lot of soprano and the the subject matter. Mm. I liked it. I like towards the end when the guitars get more intense. It's a really nice tone. Yeah. At the very end. I like that. And uh, it's nice to have a sort of a supernatural, witchy, sexual song that, if you want to think about magic or maybe write about magic, yeah. it's nice to have this. I like it. Mm. That would be a good song to write certain kinds of magic to, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is from an album called Black Widow from 2014. I wanna show you another song, There's a few other songs, I really like this album. It's called um, Black Widow. Let's listen to it on Spotify because I want you to hear it well, I want you to read the lyrics. And after we listen to it on Spotify, I want to show it to you on YouTube so you can see what sort of stage show they have. 
Okay. Let's listen to Black Widow. Mm-hmm. That's different from the previous two bands that we listened to in that there's no pause in the vocals. Yeah, it's all about the it's the singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the singing. Mm-hmm. Yep, they have a star, I guess. A master mind and a star. Well, no, it's not fair. That's not... I don't think that what that what constitutes the choice for stylistic difference. Mm-hmm. It's not as though Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin didn't have extremely talented singers, extremely skilled singers. Just it's just a stylistic difference. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that one again at the beginning, it felt like club music, and I'm not. I think it has something to do with the intensity and the pace of the drums. It's Yeah, it's very even. Like when I listen Yeah. Yes, that's it. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. It's it's very pulse like. Mm-hmm. What's often described as a throbbing beat or a pounding beat, but there's not there's not a whole lot of shifts to it, at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then you get locked in what the lyrics are saying, and I lose track of what the instruments are doing. <laughs> yeah. I like how... Um, if you listen to a lot of classic rock or hard rock, you will hear a lot of male singers talking about seducing women as if they are predators and the women are prey. And This is a good contrast song to that. Yeah, it's nice to have this. And she still sounds so... Her voice is so gorgeous and she still sounds so seductive. Whereas the dudes don't always sound seductive because they're like tough dudes. No, they sound like um, cavemen. I'm going to pick you up and hurl you over my shoulder. and But that's the traditional contrast, isn't it? That the man overwhelms and the woman, the woman slips in and persuades. Mm-hmm. There are very, very few points where the story changes to the woman simply taking the man. Even in even across literature and movies, it's not common. The tradition is always that the the woman persuades the man. That literally seduction versus uh, capture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And even this one follows that trope. She says that you want control. I disagree. Right. Yeah. And you can hear that they're not afraid to mix metal with things that are mostly done in electronic music. They get a sample yeah. of something, or they make the, the stuttering go 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 to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I like that. It's and they they made it a bit vintage and there's something vintage about uh, Maria Brink and sometimes even about the way she enunciates and I don't mm-hmm. I don't have the background to to see who 
she's following, not not imitating, but who in whose style is she enunciating? Maybe you'll hear some of it in the live performance that we'll watch. I might find it. I don't know. There's some way, just like with photographs, when you can make them look vintage by applying filters, there's some way to do the same thing with a voice when you're recording, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's called. I just know it exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But listen to the way she pronounces words also. Let's go to YouTube and find Black Widow. But it has to be live in Japan from 2016. Well, let's put all of that in and see what I can find. Uh, looks like I found it. It has yeah. the exact date also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Okay. The singing is still good, but I don't know if it's a question of my experience as a performer, as a dancer and a stage performer, or the fact of them being in Tokyo. It felt very rehearsed. It, none of the way that they were moving on stage felt even implied spontaneity. And I've seen performances that were clearly choreographed, but they don't, they don't, you know that they have to be choreographed in order to achieve what they're doing, but they don't feel rehearsed. And that felt rehearsed. Oh. That didn't feel like it's interesting. And it very much, this is part of why I think them being in Japan brought this up that there is very much a style of J pop performances of their idol singers that is exactly that style of performance that that choreographed specific costuming all of those elements coming together and it is supposed to feel just a little bit rehearsed that um but this one i don't know like it's still really good and it was interesting and the the whole concept works together i just i don't know i almost felt like the performers were bored <laughs> We've done this 5,000 times. This is boring. Okay. And I, I, that was... I don't know. I, I did not find that performance to be particularly as appealing as I think you wanted me to. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, I can't think of a performance that I've seen that I knew was rehearsed, but didn't look rehearsed. Maybe you should, you should send me some. I want to get what you're saying, what what feel you're getting. I'll see if I can find some. Mm. I am I am kind of thrilled to have um, Maria Brink point at me with a knife. That's that's enough for me. You know, I'm a it simple would be girl. More <laughs> thrilling if it was a better knife. Oh. That's a, that's a lousy, plasticky looking cheap ass stage knife, okay? Okay. Not even any fun. Give, give me something besides this stupid, overblown pseudo kitchen chopper thing. Okay. You want the real thing. All right. Okay. What did I. I was thinking, uh, have you heard what people say about the Japanese audiences? What makes them different? I might have, but it doesn't mean it stayed in my head. <laughs> Um, rock stars usually come back from Japan and say 
These people uh, seem really disciplined. They stay quiet during the performance unless you prompt them to make some noise. And oh yeah, no, they don't they don't yeah. scream much. They tend to clap more than scream. Yes. And they don't move yes, as much. That... They don't they don't seem to dance as much. No, but that's a function of of that's a very culturally derived thing. I mean, you put that many people on an island that size, cities those size, that size. They're not, they're used to living their lives with a constant awareness that there are people crushed up close to them. Hmm. So the idea of being in a space where they can move freely as the music prompts them is pretty foreign to them. Hmm. It, it clashes with the way that they need to live the rest of their lives simply because of how many people and how close together they live physically. I hadn't thought about this, but this may be the reason. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we saw a live one. What did I want to see next? Let's go watch a video. This is the song and the video that got me into in this moment. It's called Sick Like Me. It's burlesque horror metal. That's what it is. Very good. That that that's it's burlesque horror metal. I am writing this down so I don't forget. What? I love it. I was looking for a way yeah, to talk about the style that they have. It's very I was watching that and it's very without being how do I put this? Mm -hmm. There's in no way does it sound like the steampunk filk that I'm that I tend to listen to around Dragon Con times. But in a visual sense, it's very evocative of that with that horror element overlaid. Mm -hmm. The the burlesque movements, the costuming, the the hats, the all of that is very evocative of the steampunk aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Hmm. It's just missing some gears and, and brown. They they've swapped out the brown for red and black and the gears for skulls, I guess. Yeah. She's uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's what it feels like. Did you see her as a uh, black widow on the web? She had a web too. That was not what I thought of when I saw that. What did you think? I didn't I was thinking, so the whole element of the lyric is control, mm. but it there are places in the lyrics that suggest she's in control, and there are places in the lyrics that suggest she's the submissive. And so when I saw the web, it didn't look like she was on the web waiting for someone to fall into it. It looked like she was the one trapped on the web. But she did have a red like hourglass marking on her costume. Right. But still, the way that she was moving and the way that she was positioned on the web, it looked like she was trapped on it. Or or trapped might be too strong of a word, but mm. constrained by it. She might be a switch. As opposed to, 
well yes obviously but that's the the web did not make me think dominator the the web made me think submissive Mm -hmm. and Mm. then when she's with the long gold finger elements and the the hat and that was the dominating side not the not the web Mm -hmm. okay that's interesting did you hear the the amazing work that this drummer does it's so beautiful it's amazing yes that was that was really interesting and again again right at the very beginning it's it's that steady rhythm that i don't think of as being metal i think of that as being club and then it shifts into this much more metal aesthetic uh this much more metal sound Mm -hmm. that is not it's not rhythmic very often Mm -hmm. you can groove to it if you find the groove you can but it's not the same way yeah it's not that it's laying down the pattern for your pulse to follow that's that's something else Mm -hmm. i like the the alarms there's two alarms at the start there's one that wails Mm -hmm. and the other that goes beep 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 it's a i love that as an intro i didn't hear the beep beep alarm it was i think it, it they did it with a guitar if you listen okay. to it again you'll hear it mm. and i was i was thinking about what influences they may have had probably alice cooper with the s- sort of show they do but musically i can hear some marilyn manson have you listened to manson no good but the way that <laughs> It's not necessary, but the way that no, but the way you said good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. It just good. (laughs) Was I an old wise man from a fantasy novel with a beard? No, it was not. It was uh, you were, you were. You were an anti-villain tapping their fingers together. Oh, sweet. Okay, I like this better. Okay. Yeah, I do have some (laughs) opinions on Manson. (laughs) Um, Everybody has opinions on Manson. If you don't have an opinion on Manson, where have you been all your life? Yeah. He, He brought something that was nice, but musically he had this... How do you how do you even call this? Maria Brink does it too. A sort of, it's not growl, it's not murmuring, it's just it's purring. It's a purring sort of vocal when he went babble babble bitch bitch. Sex sex drugs and don't forget the violence. I think it's usually referred to as husky. Husky. Okay. Um, when voices like that are described in books, there's there's a, a husky, furry kind of sound. Are the words mm-hmm. usually used? Mm-hmm. He had he was Men rhythmical and yet he was husky. Whiskey dark. Mm-hmm. Whiskey. Okay. So yeah, Maria does that too. The shock rock and the huskiness, and the the electronic elements. Maybe there's there's some yeah. Manson influence in there. And I can identify the the thing you're talking about with the way that she pronounces things, but I don't. Again, it sounds familiar, like you said, but I don't know what it sounds familiar to. Mm-hmm. 
I haven't tracked that down that like I can't English today. <laughs> I haven't tracked that down yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So we had Dear one... YouTube, please don't tempt me with Temple of Love right now. I'm not <laughs> supposed to be listening to that. No. We're doing the the burlesque horror metal now. Mm, let's go watch a video from a newer album, their previous album. It's called The In-Between. You will hear some nice screaming. I love it when she screams. Okay. Let's watch the in-between by In This Moment. Oof. How do I respond to that? What do I think of that? <laughs> some nice colors in the video. Beautiful red. You're very fond of red. It's not my shade. I like darker reds. Oh, me too. Yeah. I like this one too. But that's not... it. Is this your screamiest song it so evokes, far? It evokes that feeling. There was a feeling I had when I was a teenager. After I had walked away from the evangelical Christianity. With the, the knowledge, the acknowledgement that I couldn't get what I wanted out of it. Mm -hmm. That I had gone in looking for something that I was never going to get. And I turned to paganism. And there was a period there that didn't last very long, but there was a period there where there was some clash inside me because I don't know what you grew up with, but I grew up, you know, basically in the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even a question of um, conscious pressure by people around me. It was the, the, underlying subconscious assumption that of course you were Christian that mm -hmm. everything around you was that mm -hmm. and that came into conflict with this new path I was trying to turn down and this video kind of evoked the song kind of evoked that conflict but with that that same horror overlay that I that was not part of my personal experience. It was the conflict did not derive from oh god I'm going to hell. It was just I've been surrounded by this thing. How do I get away from all of these things that are so familiar? These these expectations and these underlying cultural bits. Mm -hmm. But it still evoked that and then laid the horror on top of it. That mm -hmm. was very the the visual aesthetics were very. Um, I thought Wicker Man, and I thought the the darker witchy aspects like from Sabrina, the new Sabrina, mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. What was Wicker Man? I don't think I've watched it. It's a horror movie by, I don't know, it might be a Shalaman movie? I'm not sure. But the the filmography, there's two of them apparently there was a an uh 20 don't oh, come on a 1973 version mm -hmm. um, and then a newer 2006 version oh that apparently involved nicholas cage no wonder i didn't like it 
Same, bro. Same. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm not yes. really that fond of his acting. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah. But that's a different discussion. So it's some it's a, some aesthetic that happens on the uh, in the open. But the, well, and the, the plots of the plot of the movie in both cases is about um, pagan or neo pagan festivals or or and it it always pulls on the the darker beliefs of what those rituals were or are in some cases you know the the king stag sacrifice and that kind of thing mm -hmm. I see. and there were definitely aesthetics in this video that pulled that mm -hmm. and just the the lyric i'm i'm gonna what was it i'm gonna bring a little hell i'm gonna bring a little heaven is very evocative of what I think a lot of us end up feeling when we turn to paganism. There are very few forms of paganism that are as strictly and as sharply uh, black and white, good and evil, as much of Christianity can be. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of elements of paganism, whatever form, that take common Christian morality and turn it inside out and look at it and go, well, what's the point of this? Oh, this is for control. Well, then screw that and, and chuck it out the window. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this felt, this felt very strongly of that. And from my experience, it seems to be about coming to terms with the fact that you are neither perfect nor a horrible person. Yeah. Unforgivable. You're somewhere in between and that's fine. But maybe she had she felt some anger when realizing it or she was just so ecstatic about realizing it that she wanted to scream. That's it depends. Yeah. And it was interesting. The beginning of it is very him like it 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 has that that church that choral kind of aspect to it and i think i heard a a pipe organ and then mm -hmm. it shifts into the deeply intense almost wall of sound metal metal aspect and unlike any of the other bands that we've listened to before the music the instruments are very much a platform for her voice. Mm -hmm. There are very, very few points in any of the songs we've listened to where the instruments themselves are upheld or presented as individual aspects. They're all just a platform for her voice, which isn't necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. Just that's the way that this band constructs their music mm -hmm. is the the instruments are the basis for her to sing against mm -hmm. yeah true and if you watch the videos and look and look at the lyrics she has switched from being a sort of femme fatale this hunter of men um to being a, a witch a self-realized which that the aesthetics have changed also their costumes and their videos and i like that change well you ask uh, certain groups of people and there is no difference yeah 
different words and concepts were exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Again, a whole other different discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we go there, I might do some screaming, and we don't want that. <laughs> nope. Yeah. I like this shift because you can't always center your personality around what you do with men or to men or with partners. That's um, true. The dudes are not that important anymore in the new videos and the new aesthetic and the new lyrics. It's more about me and my power. Mm, so let's watch another one, which is the one that convinced me to change the plan. The new song is called The Purge. Let's watch the video on YouTube. Oh, I think I've seen some bits from this. I think YouTube has been trying to get me to watch it. All right. Let's watch The Purge right in this moment. Be continued. Mm -hmm. We're having a storytelling. Hmm. She came in a... What do you call cars for dead people in a, in English? In a hearse. Uh, her? <laughs> a hearse and a casket. And was yeah. lifted in, carried into almost but not quite a church. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, I've seen that that's a a common kind of aesthetic in sci-fi fantasy. It has a an oddly Warhammer 40,000 feel. Mm. Um, that that visual that it's it's Christianity is is particularly high church Catholic Christianity, but stripped of the really overtly Christian symbols, no crosses. But it's still it's exactly it's the same. It's the columns, it's the soaring ceilings, it's the the focal point at the back center. It's the stained glass windows. Mm -hmm. It's the halos around the head. Mm -hmm. All of that. But then at the end of the movie, at the end of the story, she sets it all on fire. Yeah. And you come to realize that the whole song, the whole ritual was in pursuit of that, that they didn't come in to worship there, they came in to tear it down. Mm -hmm. And to somehow give her a new identity or a new life, because she came out in a different outfit with a veil right. in black. Black. She went in white and almost, I don't want to say angelic, but there is an implied purity to whiteness. Mm -hmm. And if you if you read the right books or the right stories or you can become quickly aware that the intensity in pursuit of purity in the light side is just as dangerous as the other way. In the but light side of what? This of what? I don't... anything. Like... If you're trying to be too I'm much of a saint? Yeah, it's just as dangerous as the other way. Mm -hmm. I mean, without trying to get too political here, that is very much an element in the direction of modern liberals, is this, this pursuit of a kind of purity and perfection 
that requires just as much in the way of intolerance as the opposing side has. Yeah, where they start policing each other and canceling each other mm -hmm. for small things instead of mm -hmm. having a dialogue. Right, right. And while I don't know that that's exactly what she was trying to evoke here in the sense of what her character was doing, I do feel that the song was kind of looking at that and going, you know, well, maybe we're all screwed. Let's just burn it all to the ground. <laughs> you know, let's let's rip out all of this intolerance, all of this, this, this pageantry. Mm hmm burn it down and see what we can make from the ashes, which may be the next part of the story. Because they just, they come out in black with it burning down behind them, but we don't know what happens next. Mm -hmm. And the song is called The Purge, which, which implies removal of something, destruction of something. Hmm, yeah. I like the maybe at the center of it. Because doubt is, yeah. is good. Doubt is good for yeah. progress. Yeah, I agree. There was, there was a lot of, of maybe, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this thing. It's good to be humble. And I noticed Just... that aesthetically in pretty much all of the movies you've shown me, all of the visuals, it's black, white, red. <laughs> there are almost never any other colors except, you know, the lighting is a color, but the, the clothing, the, the what she wears is black, white, red with maybe some touches of gold in as ornamentation. And even, you know, even the, the other characters in the video, they're either the musicians who are primarily black or they're her other dancers who... If, emulate her costuming and all also have long blonde hair pale blonde hair at that mm -hmm. also i don't envy her hairdresser when she's doing these videos oh my god <laughs> it's the amount of tossing around that she does <laughs> she must have to spend an hour getting the knots brushed out afterwards <laughs> yeah like yeah. holy cow Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that in between video especially made me think that because it was a whole lot of, of using the hair as part of the the motions and I'm just going, Oh my god, honey, you're gonna spend an hour brushing the knots out of that. Yeah. And she had the dancer's hands in her hair too. Yeah. Oh well, no, that's not so bad. But the the way that she was tossing her head around is wow. <laughs> Like mm. on tour with the way the wind was blowing in that one live one, and I'm going, and it's obviously an artificial wind, mm. but still, I'm like, so you get back on the bus and you get out of costume, and as the bus is moving you to the next tour location, you're teasing the knots out of your hair. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> A centering exercise. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I'm just not that fond of brushing my hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's it for burlesque horror metal. Was there a song that you liked more than the others? It's hard to say. I'm not generally as fond of songs with this much uh, ongoing intensity. Mm -hmm. And a 
pretty much every single song we listened to began kind of peaceful and slow and then within 30 seconds or so ramped up to an intensity that was then maintained throughout almost the entire song Mm -hmm. and i find that to be kind of overwhelming Mm -hmm. like i liked it but it's not something that i would tend to put at the top of my listening list Mm -hmm. it's it's overwhelming it's it's too much even i get you i like the i like the ideas and the concept as a thing that exists mm-hmm. i don't know that it's something i like for me as a long-term thing does that make any sense yeah and i'm very happy that i got to show you the ideas and the visuals yeah and um, all the things that her her voice can do so pretty amazing. Yeah, her voice is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Although that last one in the purge, there was like in previous songs, you know, there was a lot of kind of electronica or or others. This one felt like it was trying to evoke rap, mm-hmm. and I don't like. How is she going to perform that live when it doesn't? It sounds like half the song belongs to someone else's voice. Well, she can like, do it. I don't it. even know. There was a lot of shift in those verses from what she normally does. Mm-hmm. That's got to be really, really hard on your voice. Could be. So... But it's something, it's, it's a sort of a Marilyn Manson sound also. And it's something she does also in other songs. So maybe it's challenging, okay. but she'll make it. Okay. Okay. I will have to take your word on that, but yeah, mm-hmm. that was... That was it. Thank you for watching In This Moment with me. Tell me about what the cats are doing. Uh, well, right now they've all abandoned me, as usual. There are no cats in the room with me. Uh, Last night, because I was so tired, I kind of, I played one game with the boys and then kind of skipped out. It's like, I don't have enough brain to do this. So I sat on the floor and pulled out one of the cat toys, like a fishing rod type toy. And it's supposed to have something attached to the end of the string. But I didn't, I don't know where those have got off to. Somebody has carried them off. So I just sort of dangled it out and Jana spent like 30 minutes just chasing the end of it to the point that she was panting. Wow. And I wasn't even wiggling it or anything. I was just literally just holding it out and she was just chasing it until she had to sit down and pant. Wow. Because she had been chasing it so hard. That's a good time. How old is she now? So she's um just over a year. She turned um we've assigned her birthday to April fifteenth. Mm-hmm. I don't know when the exact date is, but based on how old she was when she was found. Um, so a little over a year. Mm-hmm. Remind me how you got and although her. um so one of my husband's co-workers spotted a woman just dropping this kitten in a Sonic fast food parking lot, just abandoning her there. And I believe 
Jana was maybe three weeks old at the time. Like her eyes had probably just opened. She definitely still needed to be nursing from mom. She could barely walk. And the person that found her had raised orphan kittens before. She knew how to give milk from a bottle and how to persuade a kitten to poop and that kind of thing. But she already had a lot of cats. She did not want to adopt this kitten. Um, apparently she has more cats than we do. And and she showed it around and my husband said, well, all right, since you have so many, we'll take her. And ordinarily, our relationship is such that he would consult with me on these things. Um, he does have ADHD and my task is to kind of help uh, manage his occasional impulses, but he didn't even try this time. He was just... Tanya, I've I've adopted another kitten. You what? You wouldn't let me adopt a kitten. Oh. Well, and then he spills out the whole sob story and I just okay, fine. <laughs> so so her his his coworker kept the kitten until she was weaned and a little longer. Um and then we picked her up or Michael brought her home from work actually um when she was about 7 weeks old. Um, around mm. American Memorial Day weekend. Mm. She was the tiniest little thing. She was so tiny. <laughs> so little. <laughs> but you could see, even from the earliest pictures, she is, uh, she is not nearly as dramatic as many Kimura kitties, but she is a split face. Mm-hmm. It is possible in, in the right lighting and in certain pictures to see that the right side of her face is color differently than the left side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's difficult to tell unless the letting is just so because she's also a tortoise shell. So her pattern is pretty busy to begin with. Mm-hmm. But does being... She's a very... Does being split-faced t- t- tell you something about the character of the kitten? No. Okay. No, not really. It's it's really just a visual thing. Um, many split, split faces that you see on the internet are quite dramatic. They'll yeah. be a kitty with one side of their face black and the other side orange, mm-hmm. and they'll have odd eyes. Like it's it can be quite dramatic. Jana is not particularly dramatic. She's very cute, but mm-hmm. she's not particularly dramatic visually. But she has grown up into one of those long, slinky kind of kitties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her preferred mode of communication is this kind of murmur sound. She, unless she really wants something, she rarely actually comes out with a full meow. Mm-hmm. And when she does, it, it she wants a thing, and you must notice. <laughs> But mostly, she just murmur, murmur, murmur. Okay. You want to tell me about a book or a series of books? Been uh-huh. well, I've still been reading the same series as the last episode that we recorded, so there's nothing new to report there. Um, I was in the library yesterday looking around at, at all the books that we have, and I've about come to the conclusion that one or both of two things is going to have to happen. <laughs> I'm going to have to undertake some kind of massive rearrangement of the books to get some of them off the floor mm. and or I'm going to have to build another bookshelf 
or acquire another bookshelf because almost all of the shelves that we have and we do have a room that is just for books we have a literal library uh, with over a thousand books in it but i've got so many and we're not going to stop buying books yeah <laughs> probably 50 percent of the new books we've bought in the last year have been books written by or containing stories by people we know people that are our actual friends and we're buying them directly from those people at various small conventions and we're not going to stop doing that mm -hmm. there are in fact a couple of books in our library that we're unlikely to read more than once mm -hmm. just because it's not the the aesthetic is not appealing to us but someone we know and care about wrote them Mm -hmm. And so we're going to support their career by buying the book, whether or not we ever actually read it. And in this library room that you have, is it shelves upon the walls? Do you have a piece in a, a furniture in the middle to put books on also? Because you could put something in the middle of the room. No, I, I choose not to put shelves in the middle of the room, partly because um, that would interfere with the lighting. Uh, this room has this wonderful, huge arched window that lets in a whole lot of light. So the shelves are, are kind of all around the walls. A couple of them sort of stick out in the middle of the room because I put the short sides against the wall. Um, but pretty much, um, pretty much every wall in the room has got a shelf on it. Um, I could probably put some taller shelves in, but I'm not a very tall person myself. Mm -mm. So putting anything taller in there would result in me not being able to reach the books. Yeah. And that's not acceptable. But I do have a trio of shelves that are deep enough that I can do double stacking of paperbacks in them. And what I do with that is some people, when they double stack paperbacks, they, they have both paperbacks upright and it's just one row in front of another. And what I prefer to do is the row that's against the back of the shelf stands upright. And then the row that is in front of that kind of lays down. So I can still see the spines of both sets. And that lets me put twice as many books on a shelf. And if I do that, I think I can reclaim enough shelf space that to help us out for like the next six months or so. <laughs> but then beyond the six months, what do you do? Then I'm going to have to come up with something else. <laughs> um, there's also, my husband has this whole collection of pop-up books. And I don't know why he has it. It was something with him and his mom. Uh, but obviously, obviously, we're not getting rid of them. Mm -hmm. They're important to him. But one of our spare bedrooms is kind of the space where his childhood treasures go. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking that I will get one of those like cute block kind of shelf sets. And put those and some of his other childhood treasures on it in that other room. And again, that will let me reclaim quite a bit of space. Mm -hmm. Pop-up books are not small. I don't even remember They're what a pop-up book is. I'm going to Google that. Well, you open it and, and things pop up out of the pages. But that's for children. Yes. Yes, it is. Ah. Okay. That's That was an important thing between him and his mother. Mm -hmm. And I don't know to ask him to give up something that's important to him yeah of course especially now that he's gone mm -hmm. so 
Okay. But I can find a better place to display them so we can reclaim more shelf space mm-hmm. from those books and buy more books. Always <laughs> gonna buy more books, and I think I have a book in the mailbox right now. Yeah, which one? I don't know if. It's- uh, so there's an author that I quite like. His name is Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. And um, during the the first couple of years of the pandemic, you know, one of the reasons that I quite like him is that he puts a, quite a bit of effort into interacting with his fans in a way that that is fun and exciting. Um, we're we're always allowed to ask him questions about what he's writing and what he meant and what he's planning. We're not always entitled to answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, quite frequently, his response is read and find out, and we all take great joy in that, <laughs> including him. Sometimes it comes accompanied with an evil grin. <laughs> um, but, like, when you go to get your books signed, you can ask him a question, and sometimes he'll answer it in the personalization that he puts in your book. That kind of So we've all found all oh. kinds of interesting things. Oh. You know? so, so he has a pretty devoted fandom, and he... You know, as we were all sort of stuck at home, he wasn't spending nearly as much time, obviously, in the first couple of years of the pandemic doing conventions and touring around and promoting his books. And he had all this free time on his hands and he sort of accidentally wrote four new books. <laughs> and that's exactly how he presented it, too, is he accidentally wrote four new books. <laughs> On top of all the other stuff that he's writing, he is he publishes, I think, a book, at least a book every year. Like, he, he is a very prolific writer, and yet they're all still consistently pretty good. But what he decided to do with these books that he'd accidentally written is, rather than have them be published the normal way through, through the publishing company, he set up a Kickstarter. Mm. And he decided that what he wanted to do was if you if you chose the certain level of a Kickstarter, you would literally get a box every month from his company, from Dragonsteel, with either one of the new books in it or fun little things related to other things he's written. And each month it would be a themed box. And you could you could do a really low and just get like digital editions of the four books when they were ready. Or you could, I think I went in on like the highest level and I've got, you know, leather bound foiled hardcovers of all the books and a box every month with fun stuff in it and digital copies and audio versions. And it broke Kickstarter records. Like it's ridiculous how fast, first of all, how fast it got funded and then how far over the cap we went. Wow. It is, I think it still holds some of the records for Kickstarter. I would have to look it up. Mm-hmm. But the year of Sanderson was just absolutely absurd <laughs> in how how much money we made for him or how much money we put in for him. And again, this exemplifies one of the reasons why his fan base is so devoted. After like the first two or three days when it just really went over the top, he started posting videos and things on his YouTube, on his Instagram, telling us how amazed he was, how grateful he was. Like there was constant feedback mm-hmm. of what was happening and how much, how pleased he was by it. And then I think something like the third week in, he started taking that extra money 
And he went through every single publishing Kickstarter on Kickstarter at the time and looked at them. And I think he ended up kickstarting most of them. He made a point of any Kickstarter for publishing that was close to um, finishing and close to having enough money to just kick it over the top. Mm-hmm. He went to so, the, the Kickstarters of other authors. Yeah. Cool. And then he posted a video of of them doing that, of the best ones that he found and the most interesting ones, because I think there were, there were a couple hundred. It would have been a hell of a video, but there was like 25 or 30 in the video. And then a whole bunch of us went out and went, oh, hey, this looks interesting, and also kickstarted them. <laughs> So yeah, like it was, it was very much a pay it back, pay it forward kind of thing. And I don't know that any of us expected him to do that. It just, it was just a thing that he did. Mm-hmm. And then we all kind of followed in his footsteps. And so now we're in July. So at the beginning of July, I got the digital copy of the third book and I'm going to respect all of the things and not tell you what the title is because the whole point is that we don't get to know until the book comes out Mm -hmm. and it's only been out for a couple of weeks. So I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but I got the digital copy at the beginning of the month, but due to shipping and all kinds of stuff, the physical copies don't always show up very quickly. So the physical copy of the third book will be in my mailbox either today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually didn't get the physical copy of the third book, Tress in uh, the Emerald Sea, until like March because they had problems with the printing. They had problems with the foiling of the covers that delayed the printing process by quite a bit. So they actually shipped, they actually rearranged the first couple of months of what we were expecting to get so that you would still get a box every month rather than having a month where you didn't get anything and then having a month where you got two things. What a joy, though, to be in this sort of fandom Especially yeah. when it's a hard time and all you can do is things on the internet. But but in general, too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, okay, so here's the Engadget article. Uh, the, the self-publication. Uh, let's see. The Kickstarter finished at almost 42 million. <laughs> which is more than... <laughs> twice what the previous Kickstarter raised. The previous uh, most earned the most Kickstarter. It's more than twice that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we we raised more than 20 million in the first three days. For oh. the first 72 hours. More than 20 million. Wow. Like that's how quick we went and there were days even towards the end of the campaign where you could sit on the kickstarter page and literally watch the numbers roll up you could just watch it go up and while it's true that if you funded at one of the higher levels it was something like six or seven hundred dollars we're talking about a month basically a monthly subscription and four elements of those subscriptions are really, really, really nicely made 
leather-bound hardcover foil back volumes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the sort of books that would cost you 50 or $60 just to buy in the store. Mm-hmm. And they have to cover shipping and the boxes. Even the month with a book in it has things in the boxes besides the book. Mm-hmm. It's worth it, you say. Yeah, it was at, I think that's the level at which I funded and I've got so much fun, cute stuff and we're only in July. I don't even know what the next few months are. Like I've got, um, I've got some uh, wax and stamps to go with it. I've got a couple of cute little plushies. I've got a set of playing cards. I've got a couple of fairly expensive uh, model type things. There's a, there's been a, a brass pin in a character pin in every single box and i know from my friend liz that those are expensive those are those are not easy to to do and make and yet there's been one in every box mm-hmm. um, you know some of it is little paper things like bookmarks but it's all really cute and well made yeah i was thinking fine. bookmarks but you actually get things that are, are of higher value yeah no you get you get i've got a uh, a chondra plushie that inverts and hmm. things like that. Hmm. I've got uh, doom slug jelly molds <laughs> and uh, glow in the dark magnets. Yeah, and all kinds of, of super cool and cute stuff, and it's all quality stuff. Mm-hmm. And the way I tend to say after I sneeze, why can we not harness? harvest this energy um, I kind of want to say now why doesn't this exist in metal why don't we have an artist who is so engaged and having this sort of fun well honestly I suspect that some of it has to do with simply the difference between what a literary fandom is like, a purely literary fandom is like, and a fandom that is more visually oriented. Um, And it's true that there are probably metal fandoms that are similar, like I suspect Ghost is probably similar, but a lot of what feeds the Sanderson fandom is internal to us. Yes, he gives us lots of tidbits to play with, and he's constantly willing to talk to us, and he goes to cons, and he signs things, and he's a very personable kind of guy. But the truth is that even without that, I think the way that he writes and the worlds that he creates would have generated a fairly intense fandom on their own, because there's just a great deal of subtle stuff, hints, things that you think might point to the next book. Um, mm-hmm. A significant chunk of the Sanderson fandom is is straight up devoted to figuring out what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. What's he going to do next in the stories he's telling us? And we don't actually need him for that. We just need him to keep writing books. Even if he didn't interact with us, we would still be able to do that. It's sort of a self-feeding thing. And I don't know how much of that is true with metal fandoms. And it's also true that 
one of the distinctive differences between literary fandoms and other kind of fandoms in general is that literary fandoms do not tend to sexually fetishize their celebrity center. Yeah. That's not common and that has an effect on I'm I'm sure that that has to have an effect on the willingness of that famous person to interact with us because he's not it, there are probably a few people in Sanderson's fandom who look at it, who look at that and go look at him and go I would hit that but the rest of us are too busy listening to him complain about his parrot and talk about <laughs> his kids and try to figure out what's happening next to look at him in any fashion other than maybe a friend mm-hmm. no yes would, would we all love to go out with for a beer with him absolutely 500 percent. would we love to kidnap him and, and make him tell us all the things and and get all the read and find outs we can get our hands on absolutely yes but we don't want to chain him up in our bedrooms and make him moan either mm-hmm. and i do that's a distinct difference in the way that literary fandoms tend to be versus movie fandoms or music fandoms or television fandoms we don't have that and that changes the interaction with the person or people at the center mm-hmm. and to aside from ghost and possibly in this moment i don't know that there are a lot of metal bands that tell stories that have lore surrounding their music surrounding their stage personas and as i said the lore of sanderson's books is an enormous part of what drives our fandom Mm -hmm. without that i don't the fandom can can only center on the people and that's that changes things too true I can think of but bands I, that are characters, but they don't have lasting stories, as you say, lore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, I think it's possible that what Ghost is doing with the new Discord server they've set up will lead to something similar. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Or it might end up like some of the other celebrity Discords I've been a part of, where if the celebrity themselves is not there, the Discord's dead. <laughs> And of course, that doesn't even begin to be the case with Sanderson's fandom. Uh, The 17th Shard, which is the major fandom website, is busy all the time with people swapping concepts and ideas and where's it going to go next and what are we doing and have you read this bit and watch out for spoilers here. Mm -hmm. The forum is constantly busy with that kind of thing. That is great. So... Yeah, if uh, I guess my my book author recommendation for this week is Brandon Sanderson. Uh, I recommend that you start either with Elantris, which is a standalone volume, or with the Mistborn trilogy. Uh, While my favorite of the books he's written is the Stormlight Archive, they are very long, very large, very involved books, and I don't recommend you start there to get a taste of what he's like. Mm -hmm. That's something that you should pick up after you've had some experience with other things he's written and the way that he tends to handle characters and stories. Mm -hmm. That was very nice. I love that. I love the book segment today. 
Okay. You're welcome. So, dear audience, thank you for listening and uh, read some Brandon Sanderson. And until next time, be good to yourselves and to your cats, right? Remember to grow as your hair as long as you like. Listen to as much metal as you can and take care of yourself. Metal. Goodbye. Bye.